Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 3, Episode 7, Backburners. Uh, as always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing? Yes, Mr. sir. Sapp? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Um, good, good to hear. This episode, very intriguing episode. Uh, now, Vulture had this episode ranked 16th all time. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to get back to that. Um, directed by Tim Van Patten, mm-hmm. of course, one of the great t- television directors, uh, you know, that you'll, that you'll find just from the, you know, everything, you know, you've seen them all over HBO. Um, and the epigraph, Conscience Do Cost by one Butchie. So in regards to the, to the uh, ranking, now, for the most part, I would say that I've agreed with Vulture when they rank the episodes high. Like their their upper tier rankings, I you know haven't had a major problem with. This is the first episode, and I'll say that I didn't think that this was a top twenty, top sixteen episode. To be honest with you, so this is the first time I just I actually disagree with the with their upper rankings, uh, with their you know their they rank episodes high. So, but I mean, still very good episode. Um, great bridge episode to what's going to transpire in episode eight um as far as themes goes uh, a couple of things jumped out i had one death by a thousand cuts in regards to the barksdale organization and also no conscience conscience do cost well there's some characters that had no conscience in this particular episode. can i also add one i was thinking about go ahead go ahead the truth hurts. Yeah, yeah, the truth. Yeah, the truth. Hurts. Yes, I'll, I'll add on as we go through. But yeah, I noticed that throughout this episode, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the episode when it gets really real." Yeah, yeah. So opening scene, we see Herc and another officer. Um, they are you know near near Amsterdam, or not even. I don't think they were near Amsterdam. They were just. So then, you know, just shooting the shit and they spot one Avon Barksdale. So um, before that, no, hold on, before that, it, this is the same scene, but before that, you see Avon in the car with uh, Slim Charles. They're looking over the corners. Um, Slim Charles is basically, you know, giving Avon, the, the uh, you know, giving Avon, Avon the 411 on what's going on in regards to what transpired after they dropped a body in last episode that, you know, police, the police are, are packing the corners. Avon says, Hey, you know, that's, that's how, you know, that's how it'd be. Uh, that's how it is. At, you know, at sometimes that's how it is at times. So some Charles says, you know, gives him an update on, on Marlowe says, Oh, says Marlowe is wholesaling his package. He's backed off, off his corners. Uh, or at least on the main quarters. And Avon now says, whoa, dang, I thought, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, I was, I was starting to disrespect the motherfucker for showing some power. He says, so Avon tells, instructs them Charles to, as soon as, the, as soon as the police roll up off the corners, you know, go take my corners. 
And as uh, he pulls off, you see um, Herc spots Avon, tells the all the officer that, you know, hey, I thought I, you know, I locked him up. Why is he out? How's he out? And, um, you know, it, it, it was it was interesting because from a standpoint of Herc didn't immediately know Avon, like he didn't even he didn't immediately know the name Avon. He's like, yeah, the big 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 guy from the projects or whatever. Big, like it, the, the name Avon didn't immediately come out of his mouth. He just said, yeah, I got I locked him up on the on, on a previous detail, um, and he ends up he ends up brushing it off, and they they end up talking about some uh, sandwiches, pork beef sandwiches, or something like that. So interesting from that standpoint. Um, what were your thoughts on, on this opening scene? Yeah, I mean, as far as the opening scene goes, it's it's a fine opening scene. I mean, it's 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 not the most memorable, but it's also well executed. Fine opening scene gets the theme, gets the the kind of like the energy going for the episode of what who's going to know what when. You know, you kind of get the the subtext right there that uh oh, this is going to be a finding out episode, particularly about Avon's whereabouts. Um, and so that sets the stage for that, but also just something that I, that we've been talking about since season one, this is actually the fuse that lights the, like the fuse that lights the wick to the dynamite that the Barksdale organization constructed in season one, when they killed Brandon, this is now all this, uh, now all chickens. Anyways, that's, that's the beginning of it. This is the beginning of it. So I'll leave it at that as we go through the episode. So we go to um, we go to the detail. The detail course is um, is on Marlowe and, and also is on Mar is on Marlowe and Stringer. The Marlowe and Stringer at, at at this point, of course, they don't know the A line. The A line is out. So you see the detail. This, nope. uh, see the detail uh, thinking that this is a Stringer Marlowe war in regards uh, in regards to that you see them start to uh, you know look at start to look into um, that you see the detail you see the the assignments get shifted from Kentel Williamson to Marlowe and Stringer Mar Mar you know Marlowe Stringer Marlowe Barksdale to the Marlowe Barksdale Marlowe uh, Marlowe Stringer war and um, you see that you see some unhappy officers in terms of Prez and Signer, who have done all this police work on Kentel Williamson, and to be told to be told that hey, we're going to put this to the side. Our focus now is on, uh, of course, Marlowe and uh, the Barksdale War. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Oh, <laughs> this is the first of my theme of tr the truth hurts. This was. The perfect, this is what we've been talking about with McNulty this entire time. And this is what we've been talking about when we mean McNulty is selfish as all hell. Right. Like, and th this is the point. Even though, yeah, Stringer's a worthy target, Barksdale's worthy. We know that. Like, that's, that's not the argument. The argument is who gets to decide that? Why does he feel like he gets to decide that? And he does, and what are the consequences on everybody else? And what makes you selfish is when you make a move totally about yourself, no matter the consequences to anybody else. And that's the point. Um, and that's what Signer was saying to this. And that's what everybody, this is just a, this is, 
the first of a few coming to, uh, uh, as my grandmother used to say, coming to Jesus conversation that they're going that people are going to have in this episode. And I'm um, sitting there framed it right. I mean, he's perfectly valid and correct in his point. It's just like, why can't we finish this before we move on to the other thing? Not only is it the worst for the people who work that case, but also the case, nothing, nothing has been resolved. Nothing, nothing happens. Now they're switched on to another one. And so, and so that's also really poor um, workmanship in, in any craft to leave a job half done is not good. Is not good craftsmanship or not good workmanship. What, no matter what job you're working. And so um, that, that's, that's bad business. And that's kind of like what the show has been saying about, about the structure of the police work at that point in time, particularly at that point in time in Baltimore city is it's sloppy and it's half-assed and it's reactive. And that's all the worst places to be. Yeah. So McNulty, of course, and this should be uh, a surprise you know, to anyone. McNulty is the first of, the characters that I would put in the case of, in the uh, category of no conscience. There's no conscience in regards to his decisions, in regards to others and how his decisions affect others or affect others. Uh, so he, you know, we see the uh, epigraph conscious, conscious due cost, and we will discuss characters over the course of this episode who do have a have a, who do have a conscience and who do and who are cognizant of their decisions and how their decisions are are, are affecting uh, other people. McNulty falls into that category of gives zero fucks is in regards to the you know his what his decisions how his decisions affect others. Um, and we spoke on this. You spoke on this in particular. He, you know, also falls in that category of the tunnel vision, you know, just sees one thing. He has the Stringer Bell. That's it. Um, so, yeah, we'll be able, you know, flush that out even more throughout the course of the episode. So, um, get a brief conversation uh, between Cuddy and his supervisor um, in regards to basically, you know, supervisor says, I know, you know, you walk through those doors, Cuddy comes out, basically says, yeah, but you know, it wasn't for me. Um, he's continuously putting, you know, told him, hey, I'll continuously put you on jobs. If you know, if you show up, I'll continuously put you on jobs. And, you know, you see, we see how their, their relationship is progressing. You see Cuddy, you know, uh, not maybe looking at him as a mentor, but looking at him, he has a, Cuddy has a, a healthy respect for him considering, you know, uh, that he's been down some of the similar roads yeah, that, Cuddy, give him that, a job. that Cuddy has traveled. And he gave, yes, and he gave him a job, Bob line. So mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, this is now, you know, the, 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 at the analogy we made is the angel and the devil. Barksdale's organization was the devil on his shoulder. This is the angel on the shoulder. And so the angels is finally starting to win out. Yeah, yes. In this episode, definitely. In this episode, the, the angels definitely uh, won out for one. Uh, Dennis Wise. Uh, McNulty and Daniels. So Daniels confronts McNulty 
over uh, going over his head to Coven. He asked him at first. He asked him, "Did he, you know, did he go over his head? Did he, did he go directly to Coven?" McNulty says, "I would have went to the devil himself." Um, you know, Stringer is the target. He's always been the target. And Daniel's basically, and Daniel tells him, "You know, you need to when you know when the cuffs go on Stringer, you need to go find another unit." He's had, you know, he's done with McNulty. Um, you know, McNulty, of course, sees one thing, and of course, that was Stringer Bell. But um, listen, Daniels, you know, Daniels has been in the game for a while. Daniels, what you know, I, I liked, I liked this scene from the standpoint of Daniels knew what time it was in terms of how quickly they got shifted targets. So I, I like the fact that Daniels was was aware. Uh, or, or had an idea of, 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 you know, what was going on from um, in terms of who he's dealing with in, in regards to McNulty. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Oh yeah, damn that. This this is when it this is when it got all the way real. This is the conversation I've been waiting for um, since since we started doing this thing. The, this is what this is what I've been waiting for. This is when when um. Daniel just says, you know what? Damn that. You like I know who you are and I know this is this is how you operate and I don't want anybody on my unit no matter how good they are who is not going to follow my instructions. Period. Point blank. End of story and you're gone after this. And I love this show for that. Yeah. Yeah. He called me. Yeah, now that. Now that before before he says, you know, you need to find a new unit. He said called him a, a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he is a piece of shit. He is. He is. He is. He called him what he is. Um, he is. He absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah, that that was a you know that was a scene. That, of course, that was. And this is this is the this is at the that is a defining moment in Keenan's progression as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's way way more down the road, but this is where. She kind of like can start really soaring on her own. So we get to Bernard and Shamrock. Bernard, of course, is is a, is a uh, works for the Barksdales. Um, Shamrock gives him some money to go pick up a new batch or a new order of of uh, burners. Uh, we will see how that plays out. So that that definitely is is a setup for. Uh, uh, some scenes moving forward. Uh, any thoughts? Any thoughts on the Bernard Shamrock? Colvin Mello. So uh, Colvin sees uh, that Am Hamsterdam is working in terms of uh, the numbers, but he's not getting too excited. He says, "Listen, let's you know the the numbers are not like the numbers. Crime is going has has went down in in parts of his uh, area, like four percent." So they were not overwhelming, but he's hesitant to get to uh, get too excited about it, um, and he lets them know, you know, let's let's not, you know, let's just, you know, obviously keep doing what we're doing, but not get too excited about the fact that we've seen that that we've seen these numbers uh, drop, and they, you know, the drop hasn't been substantial, but they're, you know, they're still incremental. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's definitely set up. Also, uh, a as we've been saying, he's a um, reformer. 
But also, um, what was I, well, I was watching something and they, they summed it up perfectly where it was just like, um, big changes don't happen. Like that's not how any of this works, where it's just like, oh, one big huge change. It happens in increments. And so that's what he's saying. Um, and that's a very logical reformer um, that there's not going to be big, huge changes, i.e. what Stringer's trying to do. you got to do it in little, tiny increments. And that's how you get to change. That's how you get to progress. We get back to Bernard and Squeak. Squeak, of course, is his girlfriend. He goes into a store, a, a, a market, and just buys two disposable burners. And, of course, she's, she gets, she's annoyed by this. But he is following, you know, at this point, is following the orders of the Barksdale organization from, a, you know, in terms of just buying two uh, burners, not to draw, of course, a lot of attention if he buys in bulk. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, were, any thoughts on this? Set up. Carcetti and Burrell, they discussed the witness assistance program. Um, Carcetti says, uh, Burrell tells, you know, to, Burrell tells Carcetti that the, the mayor has had, hasn't had any mention of it. So this kind of gets uh, Carcetti's wheel spinning that much more when he, uh, he gets, and, and of course, this continues the pattern of Carcetti getting information. Um, you know, information about the mayor and information, you know, continue, you know, having sources, finding different sources of information, whether it's the mayor, whether it's somebody in the mayor's cabinet or whether it's somebody, whether it's a, a Tony Gray. So he continuously, Carcetti is continuously getting information that, that is benefiting his cause. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, yes, he's continuously getting information because he's seeking out that information. He's planting the seeds for it or in Burrell's case, case that is specifically Burrell's job to him is to give him information. Um, and so with that being said, this is set up for a scene later in this episode where I'll go a little bit more substantially into that. So the detail, we get back to the detail. Um, they just, the, the detail, they're discussing the burners. Uh, Freeman wants a burner from the bar scales and um, they, you know, trying to basically figure out, you know, how to, uh, you know, this is the beginning of them trying to figure out how to go about using this to uh, further the case. So we're going to get, of course, you know, the episode is called Backburners. So this is kind of the beginning of, of their, um, you know, their journey into finding out more about, you know, about these burners and how they are and how they can, um, move forward with the case um in, in using these burners but freeman says hey let's you know the beginning of this is getting me a burner from the barksdale's um from the uh from one of the barksdale dealers uh what were your thoughts on this yes uh get back to bernard and squeak again bernard goes into another store a different store and just buys two disposable phones uh squeak like this like you know the previous scene continues to complain uh continues to complain to the bernard about you know about not buying uh in bulk yep set up we get to mcnulty kima and signer 
So they're looking at Bodie, um, use the burner. Um, of course, they were, you know, given, uh, you know, not given an order, but, um, but I told, you know, told uh, Dustin Freeman that they would find it, that they would get a burner, or Freeman asked him to get a burner from the Barksdales. So they're looking at, you know, they're looking at Bodie. Uh, McNulty comes up with an idea that that's not, you know, that's not revealed in this scene, but he basically says, I got a better idea. I'll, you know, you know, I'll, 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 you know, we'll do it. You know, we'll come back tomorrow and decides to take everybody to the bar, you know, you know, drinks on him as it, you know, and they just miss seeing Avon appear with Bodie. Um, I want to get on this. I, I want to speak, speak on this on Avon real quick. Um, so through the course of this scene, not this scene, through the course of this episode, we've seen Avon twice in a car or in a truck. Truck, car, yeah, tr in the truck. Um, season one, it took us four or five episodes to see Avon in public. The detail didn't even know who Avon, what Avon looked like. So, and I, and I, and I thought about you know, him shaking Bodhi's hand, that, to my knowledge, that is the first time Avon has even met Bodhi. Like, Avon didn't even used to deal with, like, middle management or dealers. Like, it just, like, even, even to acknowledge. So, I thought about something that you said, you know, last episode, that Avon, yeah, he's the kingpin, but he's operating up until this point, and in this episode in particular, He's operating like a soldier. He's operating like a soldier. Because yeah, twice. He's a yeah, he is. A, no, at heart, yes. Mm -hmm. At heart, he he's a soldier that became a kingpin. But you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But yeah, this is not, you know, this is not the careful Avon who was paranoid about using the same payphone in season one. This is not mm -hmm. that, that he's not doesn't have that mindset right now. Because um, he didn't, like, like I said, when I shouldn't saw him shaking hands with Bodie, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, I'm sure that's probably, I'm sure that that is the first time that they've ever met. Never talked, he never talked to Wallace or Poop or those cats like, uh, you know, oh, you know, the, um, I mean, he barely dealt, he, the, only, the only people he dealt with basically was Stringer and his top lieutenants, whether it be, uh, um, some of the names are eluding me. Weebay and uh, Bird or, or, or those cats. I mean, top lieutenants, not even show, like, you know, top of the, you know, top of the chain lieutenants, you know, of his, you know, of his circle. So this is a different Avon than what we've accustomed, been accustomed to uh, seeing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you spoke on Avon, so I'm not gonna speak on that. The, the thing that I, that I noticed the most in this scene is um, I know it's about them almost missing Avon, but to me, it's it's another um, in a long list of condemnations on McNulty. Um, uh, it's another, the reason they missed him is McNulty says, let's go to the bar, I have a better idea, and his better idea will be revealed shortly, and I'll be able to connect those two scenes together. So I'll wait for that scene. 
So we go to uh, Stringer and Donette. They're having dinner. Um, Stringer, Donette tells him that she uh, mentioned uh, that she told Brianna about McNulty. And Stringer, of course, gets upset, saying that, you know, it's been a year. Uh, everybody's forgotten about it. And, you know, basically what mom is going to believe that her son didn't kill himself. He, of course, tries to get more information in regards to where Donette, not where Donette, but where Brianna is going to go to talk to, to who Brianna is going to go to talk to. Of course, Donette mentions the lawyer. And of course, he tries to pressure on, you know, is it Levy? And she says, you know, she says you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he didn't mention that or she didn't mention that. And um, Stringer, you know, feeling the heat from that standpoint of not even, of course, wanting to, uh, to dig this up. And again, this is also goes in line with um, how you see an organization come apart and in, in various ways. You know, we see, we saw Stringer, we'll see Bernard later, Bernard and Squeak. And, you know, we've already seen, uh, so, so this, again, this was a heavy, heavy Barksdale episode. So they're kind of giving you you know, kind of giving you how the Barksdales are, are coming apart in, in, in various ways. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, true hurts, Stringer. True hurts. I'll leave it at that. Carcetti and uh, Teresa D'Astino, uh, she um, tells her about Royce and the state's witness. Um, he, you know, he has a strategy. He has a strategy that he's going to go at. You know, he's going to go at uh, Royce directly. She gives him another way um, to to uh, to go at Royce that doesn't require him, you know, to basically be as aggressive as he has been. And this is the first. It's the first time that they. Um, and we'll see later on how he follows, you know, when he, yeah, he takes her advice. But she, this is, this is the first time that uh, that she advises him uh, in terms of uh, her. This is the first time you felt like she was a she was his political man, his his campaign manager, so so to speak. It, this is kind of like them. Well, I mean, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Because he's about to. I think I know he's about to say. Go ahead. No, I was going to say she is his campaign manager. She, I mean, she at is, this this, point. She's sitting yeah, down she and meeting, meeting with, yeah, meeting with him and his wife, and they're going over strategy. Um, and so the strategy she laid out was very, very sound and made all the sense in the world to me. Um, but to, to the wife's point, this is, again, this is what the wire is speaking to, not necessarily that there are politics in, in police work. I mean, I, everybody knew that. Um, but to like, to like what what that potentially looks like in terms of like citizens and things like that when she makes the comment like yo um yeah this is a great plan unless you're that second witness who got shot then not life is not so great for you and so um you know and um homegirl says you know great that's that's you know it, it's gonna get it's gonna look uglier from here so um you know, she didn't know how I, <laughs> she didn't know how real her words were in that moment. Um, so uh, when, uh, when we're thinking about our lives now, today, yeah, politics is a very ugly business. So what The Wire actually presents in this episode is tame to what we know 
the level it can get to. But that was that was very ugly at that point in time in the show to be like um, ugly from the point of uh, like heartless to think about like, oh, this is how we're going to gain our political advantage is if another witness um, gets killed. Yeah, and she, his, uh, the, the campaign manager name, Teresa, she also wants him to get a read on uh, Royce as well, too. So that, 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 that's a part of it. Um, that's a part of it. She, she has his read really quick. She has, they have their read on Royce. What she doesn't want him to do is do what he normally does and go out and bang him right, up yes, and, and no, like she, start right, yelling at him yeah, everything publicly. Yeah, what yeah. she's saying is hold this in your pocket. Hold it in your pocket. If this does come up again, then you can then unveil that you have already talked to him and that he did nothing. But not now, not when it's so far from the election. Yeah, and then he ends the scene saying win-win. Um, right. So we have, uh, we go to Bernard and Shamrock. Bernard has, you know, has come back from a day of, of runs with uh, getting burners. He um, he's informed by Shamrock that he will need another delivery of burners. They collect the receipts, or Shamrock collects collects the receipts and then tosses them in the trash without looking at them as he's on the phone with his girl or some girl. Squeaky, Squeaky, his um, girlfriend, Sham. <laughs> Bernard's girlfriend notices this um, through the doorway. So again, you have Shamrock who was given this assignment by Stringer, not looking at, you know, not looking at the, um, not looking at the receipts. Uh, and we'll, and I will, we'll, we'll explain why that's important uh, later on, of course, over the course of later on in this episode, uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, sloppy. Bubbles at Ham at uh at at Hamsterdam. So, Bubbles goes down to Hamsterdam. He's you know selling his T-shirts. This is at night, and he sees just you know basically he sees basically hell. I mean they. Yep. Oh, you know, he yep. he is like completely just taken back at what he's seeing with what's going on um, with the prostitution, the drug use, the number of kids and teenagers that are through it, you know, that are, are around there. He sees, you know, just, and, you know, taking this in consideration, think about what Bubbles has been through in his life and what he's, I mean, this guy has seen, he's seen some shit. So for Bubbles, to be kind of like taken back is, you, you know, you're dealing with some some next level dysfunction as far as where as far as what has been created by Coven. Um, he spots Johnny. Johnny, of course, is in. This is the opposite of Johnny. Johnny is in yeah. heaven. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny. Matter of fact, Johnny calls it paradise. And he recognized, and Bubbles, of course, been in the game for a while. He recognizes that, hey, man, I need to get this dude up out of here. Um, he tries to get Johnny. Johnny just says, you know, basically, he's like, no, I'm good. And, um, you know, we have in this this scene a guy, you know, with with a conscience, 
in regards to Bubbles. Bubbles, in spite of the fact that, you know, he, Bubbles, in spite of the fact he could easily just go about his business and just sell his T-shirts, but he sees a friend in need, tries to pull him out. But uh, that friend is long gone, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I love the camera action in this scene, uh, given Bubbles' perspective. Um, so I thought they did, you know, thought they did a tremendous job with that. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, uh, tremendous, tremendous scene. Super hard to watch. Um, tremendous yeah. scene. Yeah, not no, not. Uh, yep. Nope. Nope. Everything you I have nothing to add. To anything you said is spot on, and this was a hard scene, a tremendous scene. Now we get get back to Kima and go to uh, Kima and Cheryl. Kima, of course, went out drinking with McNulty and Signer. Comes home drunk. Um, they finally have it out in regards to their current situation with the baby. Uh, you know, basically, Kima says, "You know, I, you know, I, I basically wanted this. You, you know, you wanted this, and I didn't want to disappoint you." Um, then she begin. I mean, she begins it by saying, "You know, I miss us." And of course, Cheryl takes that to takes that. The, you know, she takes it as meaning, you know, she's blaming the baby for their current predicament yeah. in the relationship. <laughs> and that probably, yeah, probably not the thing to... She she, she, take, she takes it for what it means. She, yeah, yeah, she does. She does take it for what it is because Kima does. Mm-hmm. Kima does miss just her mm-hmm. and Cheryl. <laughs> and never wanted that baby. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Cheryl, Cheryl's able to sift, you know, through that and basically tells Kima, yeah, you, you can't stay here tonight. And we see Kima uh, head back out, uh, head back, head out the door. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, true perch, very real, very real. I mean, like this, this, yep, yep. We we we've we've talked about it, and now it's actually that was when it actually happened. We go back to Amsterdam uh, with Carver. So Carver no is noticing that. In spite the success of Amsterdam in regards to you seeing it, you know, seeing, you know, people packed there. And from that standpoint, he notices that, you know, the mid-level dealers have let go of uh, their runners and have let go their some of the young hoppers. And he forces the he forces them to pay a tax uh to sling to uh sell drugs at Amsterdam at Hamsterdam. Um so Carver, I guess, you know, feeling like, um, you know, feeling like he, you know, feeling like these dudes uh, was, you know, feeling like he's looking out for the workers, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the runners and, and the younger, younger hoppers who the dealers have uh, cut loose. And, um, you know, this is, you know, this, this kind of like, <laughs> you, you see a scene like this and you think about uh, just, you know, this is, this is business. Like, you know, people, sometimes people, when sometimes people get cut, people get laid off in job, laid off in terms of jobs uh, every day. So, uh, you know, you see these uh, mid-level drug dealers saying, hey, I don't, we don't need runners. So they've cut them loose, but Carver forces them to pay into a tax uh, to sell drugs there. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this is more about Carver's development than anything else. Um, and so, yes, everything you said is accurate. And this is a key moment in Carter's um, Carter's personal development as a character. 
And this also, this also not begins, but this also, yeah, it somewhat begins a, a divide in, in terms of idea philosophy with he, he and also uh, Herc as well. Because yeah, Herc notices this, and of course, and, and does not by any stretch agree with it. Um, and we'll flush, we'll talk about that in the course of later on. Um, you go to, we go to, Well, Bignoti and Signor Kima briefly, but without, you know, they, uh, we'll, we'll get back to that. Omar and Butchie. So we go to Omar and Butchie. So Omar, of course, is feeling guilty about, uh, still feeling guilty about the murder from Tasha and was really, you know, the conversation that Bunk had with him last episode really, is sticking in his crawl. And Butchie, you know, the veteran that he is of the game and, you know, kind of at a stage of his career where he says, basically, like, look, man, you can't have, like, you can't allow this, allow Bunk to get in the way of, of your bottom line as far as your focus. Like, somebody in your position can't afford to not be kind of, you know, not be focused on what he what he needs to do. He says, somebody like that, he says, once, you know, those those thoughts kind of creep up in your head, you're going, you're going to end up dead. So he, and he tells him about this story about his uncle you know, feeling guilty, you know, his uncle, uh, you know, feeling guilty over a woman, over losing the love of his life and, you know, cut off his finger and say, he mentioned, says the girl wasn't, wasn't, you know, he, you know wasn't worth more, more than a pinky. Um, so, Omar, you know, listens, you know, he, of course he listens to Butchie, but still feels like he owes something, tells Butchie, hey, I still like feel like I owe something despite, you know, despite what Butchie then said uh, in regards to Bunk. Um, you know, this was that that mentor, you know, that mentor relationship, that respect that they have, that mutual respect, Butchie being one of the few people that can talk, that can get, that can talk to Omar, that he, he can confide in. And this was also, this was, you know, you know, to your to your um, theme of truth hurts. It was a continuation on that on from that standpoint. And Butchie, of course, during this scene, uses the epigraph "conscious do cost." Or no, not he didn't. He actually said it in that scene, not the scene. But of course, we know Butchie said the epigraph, but not in this scene. No. What were your thoughts? Um. Yeah, it was a really good scene. Uh, pretty much everything you said, I agree with. So we get to uh, Levy and Stringer discussing um, McNulty and Brianna. Um, Stringer, of course, is, is is you know you know nervous about you know the idea of of this even coming up in regards to D'Angelo. He's trying to figure out a way to kind of quiet McNulty as far as filing a complaint and things of, of that nature. Um, he also, you know. He's, you know, Levy basically says, you know, that's not going to help out. You know, that's not going to do anything. Um, and then Levy mentions that, uh, you know, what about Avon in regard? What about, you know, I guess, you know, Avon should know this. Should, should know this. And, you know, Stringer says he will, at the end of the scene, Stringer says, you know, let me, let me handle it. I will handle that. Let me handle that. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts? 
Yeah, I can't say too much on this because this is leading up to a lot, but um, this is very smart what the show's doing right now. It's very, very smart what they're doing. You want to expand on that or you can't say? No, 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 no way I can't expand on that right now. So we get to McNulty, Kima, and Signer. They bust uh, Bodie and, and, and a couple of his crew members with a G-Pack. And they first and, this, and, and they get their first taste as far as hearing about Amsterdam. They switch the phones, so they get you know they um, they get Bodie's phone and, and give him a a phone that they had that that looks similar that looked similar to his. So they get their they get their phone for Lester for Lester, and they again they get their first uh, you know they get their they you know this is the first time they hear of uh, Amsterdam. And also, by the way, the, you know, Bodie and his crew members, of course, are upset because, uh, you know, they figured that all the cops knew about <laughs> this agreement that they had with, uh, with Colvin. And, you know, they find, they find out that, of course, Bodie, that McNulty and, you know, Kima and them have no idea about this. Um, what were your thoughts on this? Um, so I want to connect this back to the scene that I was talking about with, um, with, uh, with them in the room, uh, with McNulty and, or when he was inviting them to the bar and then they, they, they were, he's talking about another method. And so his method was to take evidence out of the evidence locker, remove that evidence and then replace it with um replace the phone with Bodie's with replace Bodie's phone with the evidence from from the locker room. Um so yeah, we know to taking the shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And again, getting back to, you know, getting back to what I said, what I mentioned earlier in in the, in the podcast. You know, McNulty, you know, McNulty gives zero fucks. I mean, he does, he's not, you know, he's not, he's not concerned about what, uh, what effect, you know, putting, you know, putting, you know, other officers in harm's way as far as Signer and, you know, Kima, not concerned about it. He's, he's really not um, in regards to this decision. Uh, Carver, we get back to Carver. Carver, of course, in Amsterdam forces the forces the mid-level dealer to uh, to pay the hoppers, to pay the young hoppers. So we see that we see that briefly um, as they he kind of the, the guy kind of acknowledges that you know hey you know um, you know he paid him. Um, anything to add to that? Uh, sad. So we see Carver, Herc, and McNulty. So they all meet up. They all meet up um, as uh, McNulty, of course, McNulty and, and Herc, as McNulty had busted Bodie um, by, you know, going towards Amsterdam. And, you know, we see that Herc, Herc says, not Herc, we see Carver says, you know, can't do this. They would head to, towards the free zone. Can't do this. And of course, you know, they, Bodie, not Bodie, McNulty and uh, 
has no idea and, and uh, about what the free zone is. They don't have any idea about what the free zone is. And Carver, you see, you see uh, Herc say they did have a G pack, but you know, then that's so that's what I'm talking about in regards to their their divide. Um, yeah. so, so McNulty starts. So McNulty this is the first time McNulty starts to, to get a sense, uh, get a sense of what the free zone is. Uh, what the free zone is. Um, they call. Uh, they make a call to or to uh, Coven. Coven, you know, so Coven is on his way there, uh, on his way to meet up with, with them. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a very intense scene in terms of, like, what like what is going on. And then, like, again, it falls into, like, kind of like the thing that I noticed uh, for myself of just, like, the truth hurts. And that's exactly what he's saying. It's like, this is this is painful to everyday police because... This is not how anybody was trained. Um, and so uh, so the truth is right there, but Coven, Coven and McNulty definitely no, it's not, no, it's not bond too. over. No, we're not there yet. Oh, okay. So, so oh, yeah. Coven hasn't arrived. So then I'll stop right there. Stop yet. Coven hasn't arrived yet. Um, yep. So I'll stop right there. We, um, we get to Omar and Butchie. So Omar... You know, decides to. Of course, he's not giving up evidence for you know. To, to uh, <laughs> he's not going to give up uh, any witnesses. Um, so Omar decides to uh, pay fifteen hundred dollars for Dozerman's gun. Um, then we hear Butchie say the epigraph "conscious due cost." Omar tells gun. Omar tells Butchie, "I'm not paying." I'm not gonna pay until I get to I get you know to his confirmation that this is this is the gun. So um so so this is Omar uh in his way paying back paying back something, you know, paying you know, paying back something uh, based off uh you know feeling guilty for a for the murder of his you know of his partner uh Tasha a couple of episodes back. Um what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. I don't have anything else to add. Exactly. We get to Bernard and Squeak. Um, again, he buys two phones. He gets chastised by Squeak. And but this time he uh she basically makes him makes him an offer he can't refuse um by uh saying by offering him uh you know offering him a head in the car and we will see um Again, we we will see how that we will see you know we will see uh, what that leads to. Again, this is you know it's how this is how your organization comes apart, uh, thread by thread. Um, any thoughts on this? Uh, set up. Uh, Bunk gets a call about um, from Butchie about the gun. Uh, so we'll see how that plays. We will see how that plays out later on in the uh, in the episode. So we get back to Bernard. Bernard goes into uh, the Mondo Mart and buys eight, count them, eight burner phones. Um, keep in mind, throughout the course of the episode, he was only he was he was uh, it was only expected, or he was directed to only buy two at a time. He buys eight burner phones um what were your thoughts yeah um 
Yeah. So, I mean, to your point. So, I mean, thread, thread by thread, sloppy, sloppy, sloppy um, on everybody's part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we get to Colvin, McNulty, and Kima. So, you see Colvin trying to explain Amsterdam to Kima and McNulty. Says it, you know, it's a tactical deployment. Um, you know, he says that uh, he convinces Big he convinces McNulty to keep quiet. Um, yeah, I mean McNulty being his former, you know, he, he being you know his former say pupil and, and working former commander, you know, he's an even McNulty is an easy sell. Of course, Kima and. Uh, you know, Signer are, you know, are just are not buying it at all uh, from that standpoint. Um, they, they come, they, they have a, they have a conversation to the side in just in terms of just McNulty and um, McNulty and uh, Colvin. And, you know, McNulty just says, you know, they're just going to go back to their corners once this is broken up. And, you know, Colvin's just saying, I'm just trying to save what, what's left of, of my district. By any basically by any means, um, by any means, and you just you know you please kind of please with me notes to kind of like you know keep this uh, to keep it quiet. Um, what were your thoughts on this conversation? Yeah, this is where I was about to get into on the last one where um, you know they they bond over not being very uh, truthful and in particularly not being very truthful to the to the bosses. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is a plan, a reaction that is based off of de desperation, which some things can happen based off of that, but not usually really great things happen based off of creating plans off of that. And you can tell at this point in time, COVID doesn't really have a next step to this. No, um, I, I thought the scene, I, I love this scene from the standpoint of these two characters are exactly who I'm talking about in regards to not having a conscience when it comes to what they want to do and the decisions that they're making to serve, you know, to serve their own person, their own interests. Now, and I thought that I thought this was just, just a perfect scene from that standpoint of just having these two because they they were bonded. This was bonded. Um, they, you know, Colvin doesn't have a next step, and they're both. We've seen over the course of this episode, and we've seen over the course of the last couple of episodes, of or even of, of most of the season, they both were making decisions, making decisions out of desperation to serve their own causes. So I, I love the scene from from that uh, from that standpoint as, as well. Uh, we go to yeah. So we go to Butchie and uh, Bonk and Butchie. So Butchie Bonk gets to the bar, goes to Butchie's gets to, goes to Butchie's bar, sees that Butchie is blind. He uh, receives the gun from Butchie. Uh, that has, you know, that has the tie that Omar wore in court back in season two wrapped around it. Um, 
Omar, then not Omar, but uh, Bunk then wraps wraps it around Butchie, Butchie's neck, saying that you know I'm I'm guess I'm thinking that he'll he'll need this in court one day, and uh, takes a gun in court and, and walks out the bar. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, yep, the Butchie, um, you know it. it it's unspoken. The part that I really liked was just like, I, you think, I think, you know, you know, like who it is, like when he was telling him that. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed that piece. Um, good bit of acting by both of the actors here. Um, so, uh, very good scene. So we see, uh, and it closes up the Dozeman gun case. Yes. Or mystery. Yes. That's all that. Yeah, closes that that story, particular storyline, wraps that up. Um, so we see uh, Slim and Pooh on the, on one of Marlo's uh, corners. Of course, Marlo has pulled back as far as uh, not having guys on you know on his main corners and also hold some of his product. So Slim, you know, Pooh is kind of like, yo, we you know this is, this is Marlo's corner. We, you know, what's you know. You know, can we be here? And Slim saying, you know, you got muscle with you. You're on a Barksdale. This is a Barksdale corner now. Don't worry. You know, you know, don't worry about it. Um, we'll see how that turns out. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of foreshadowing in this one, so it's big time setup. Uh, go back to the detail. They get uh, Freeman. Uh, Bodie's burner with minutes on it. And you see McNulty getting information uh, on Teresa DiGassino. Earlier in the scene, he put Prez on, um, told, asked Prez to, to go look up, look up information about her. Of course, it has nothing to do with the case. Prez asked him, you know, how does this relate to the case? And, you know, McNulty basically gives him some bullshit. And uh, so, but so, so he ends up getting information about um, that Teresa DiCascino. Of course, they, you know, you know, they he slept with her in the previous episode. Um, what are your thoughts on this thing? Yeah, but um, Nolte using police resources to get himself laid. Yeah, <laughs> that's my thoughts on it. <laughs> that is big Nolte. Um Cuddy and the Deacon. Uh, so. We see, um, last time we saw these two together, you saw Cuddy walk out, walk out the church, say, basically saying, I didn't think it was going to play like this as the deacon, as the deacon told him, like, we don't get jobs. You're going to do, you're going to work for what you earn. Like, we're not going to, like, just hand you a job. So now we see a more, a, a, a Cuddy coming in, a vulnerable Cuddy, a Cuddy who, you know, who has been, you know, humbled by, you know, what his circumstances are. He He's open to, uh, to the deacon and basically he says to the deacon, look, you know, um, you know, I, sometimes I, you know, basically said I do things that I just don't want to do. And he basically said, and gets to a point to where he got to a point to where he's sick and tired, uh, tired of being sick and tired. And, uh, we see at the end of this scene that he decides to, you know, when the deacon calls him Cuddy, he says, no, you know, I'm Dennis. So yep. to your point, we see, you know, the, 
you know, the, the angels just overtake overtake Cuddy's life from that standpoint. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on this interaction? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in general, just just great, great job. Um, Cuddy had to go through hell to get to his heaven. Let's let's complete the analogy. I mean, they're not even being subtle with it because he's literally talking to a priest. So uh, or, or um, you know, uh, someone uh, heavily connected with the church. Um, and so uh, uh, deacon. Um, and so. Um, uh, yeah, he's, he's got to go through hell to get get to his salvation. Um, the opposite, you know, they're playing with a lot of different parallels right here. You know, the hell that that Bubs was walking through and then trying to get his friend out of it. But his friend calls that paradise because in their warped world um, or that addicted world, that is actually paradise. But it's really reflective of, of, of you're really living through hell. And the same is with drug dealing. The same is with um, get all parts of the game. It's actually hell. But you, you think it's. You think it's not that because of bright, shiny things and all that. So anyways, they're playing with a lot of different um, things here. Um, but ultimately, it's like I said, Cuddy is the actual, the only legitimate reformer here. And the reason why he's the only legitimate reformer is because of this right now. What's going on right now. What he had to go through and where he's at. Cuddy's reached his bottom. And his bottom was, I don't want to do this anymore. He saw that young man killed and shot and was like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm over it. I'm not taking another life. I'm not playing this game anymore. And he some, he completely takes off that other life when he releases the cutting name. Yeah. Nah, I'm Dennis. So yeah. that goes right in hand with what Avon was saying right at the end of the last episode. He's a man. He's a man now. And as we all know, there's a lot that goes into being a man, but a big part of that is taking responsibility for yourself and your actions, which a lot of characters, as we pointed out, are not there yet. So that's why Cuddy represents the best, the best case of someone who's actually worthy of being redeemed and somebody who's actually worthy of being a reformer. We have a lot of pretenders. The show is making a case for Cuddy to be the real one. Yeah, Cuddy. Yeah, yeah, Cuddy's the real thing at, at this point. Yeah, he's at, yeah, and we'll see. Mm, they're making the case. They're making the case right now. Up at this point in time, there's no way we could call him the real thing. Well, he's developed. They're, they're yeah, starting yeah, to make the case. Yes. He's developed. Yes, he's yeah. headed yeah. in that direction per se. Yeah. Um, uh, you see, McNulty, of course, attempts to get in contract with Teresa. Uh, he gets her. Uh, Makes a call, gets her, and ends up ends up getting her. Doesn't speak to her directly, but ends up getting her uh, whereabouts. Um, we'll you know we'll see how that transpires later on in the episode. Uh, Carcetti and Royce uh, they discuss the witness protection program. Carcetti basically said, Carcetti, not Roy, Carcetti. Royce basically says the money's not there, um, and tells Carcetti, you know, I basically did everything I could do for this situation. Looked into it. Um, you know, we I've, in many in many words say is I'm tells Carcetti I'm going as far as I'm going to go with this with this particular in terms of this particular situation. Carcetti, of course, sees all he has to see um, as his as uh, Teresa's plan. Um, you know, her plan in terms of 
his strategy uh, works from that standpoint. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on this on this interaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I set up, set up. You get back to Amsterdam. You have Carver, Coleman. Uh, Carver, of course, is is you know having doubts in terms of the number of kids, or doesn't like the fact doesn't like the the fact that there are so many kids in Amsterdam, which is a big. I mean, yeah. you talk about foreshadowing. Yeah. You talk about yeah. that. Yeah. That it, it just hit me when I when I see when I see Carver's name with kids. I was that. That is uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge foreshadow. <laughs> Carver yeah. caring, caring about kids. Um, not having now, let me make this clear. Not having doubts about Amsterdam. Just having, just not, just being, he's just, uh, he's just concerned about the amount of kids uh, that are there. He still believes in Hampshire. He still believes in the idea of Hampshire. As in comparison to other officers, as in comparison to other officers, not totally into it. Yeah. At this that's point, fair. at this yep, point, he's still fair. on he's still on Bunny's side at this point. Um, but again, the key the key foreshadowing is is, is, is the kids. Uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, McNulty and Deacon, uh, and Teresa Teresa she spots him. He goes to an event. Uh, puts a tie on. Uh, gets you know gets a drink and sees that this is clearly uh, political. You know, this is something that's out of his element. And he He's headed, he's about to leave. Uh, she catches him before he heads out. And of course, you know, he gets, she gets him, uh, you know, the whole, her hotel room uh, and tells him to stay there and hang out in the hotel for two hours, uh, for two hours before she gets there. So, you know, mission accomplished for uh, McNulty. Um, Marlo, Chris, and Snoop. So they meet in a pigeon coop. Um, Marlo compliments one of his, you know, younger, I don't know if it's one of his younger, you know, younger peoples that works for him about how he's taking care of the pigeons. And they, he and Chris discuss their next step in regards to the corners. Chris says, you know, Barksdale is going to think we weak if we, you know, if we back off. Um, and if we back off, you know, he's going to, he's going to be on those corners, which exactly is exactly what Marlo wants. So we see how cunning Marlo is from that standpoint. As Chris smiles, knowing the plan that Marlo had in mind, he tell, and then he, then we see the first first assignment given to one uh, Snoop as she has her has her first her first words of, of the series, and she says, you know, as she, she says, you know, your turn, girl, and she says, about time. So uh we see you know marlo has his plan and uh his plan is in, in is in the works uh what are your thoughts on this scene yeah i mean i think this ties in excellently with what you've been saying about the uh barksdale organization right like the whole thing the whole point of beef between stringer and avon has been about corners um and or point of contention not beef not at this point um the point of contention has been about corners and about and about Avon and the way that he thinks about things and the way that he thinks about um, territory and and um, what what is valuable territory. And the big thing is Avon keeps coming back to people are going to think we're weak. And as you point out, Marlo is very much 
exploiting that, but also he is himself not tied up into um, uh, I have to stand on this corner to be strong. So it's an evolution of Avon that's going on with Marlo. Yeah. 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 Um, we had a detail with Perlman and McNulty. Uh, they start, they look at, uh, they're looking at a computer where they're tracking calls from the burners and they're basically trying to figure out how, what's, what's going to be the next move as far as how can they get a wire up on the burners. Freeman has not figured that out, figured that out yet because those burners are disposable and they, you know, people, you know, they, uh, the dealers are not on them long enough in order to get a wire up at this point. But Perlman wants to get the wire up. So those, those seeds are immediately planted between Perlman and also I, and also Freeman is, is, you know, his, his, his wheels are spinning as far as trying to figure out how to, uh, the next move in regards to that. But Perlman wants to get the wire up, wants to, wants, definitely wants to get the wire up. Um, but, um, Freeman says, you know, we're not quite there yet. Um, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are um, it's it's challenging to talk about burners because they're so not a reality. Like they're so not a reality. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, this this is meant to show how complicated it is to get past, to get connected to this this burner network. Yeah, lot lot of lot of tech talk in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean it's fine, but it's just it's such a, a, a obsolete technology. Yeah, no, yeah, not that yeah. we know. I no, mean, it's just, no. just obsolete. Yeah. And we if we stay yeah. in, we gotta stay in the time period. And so if we're staying in time period, um, that is that's what it's about. It's about how complicated it is to to um to get a wire. Like they're not they can't do it the traditional way by any stretch of imagination. Also, you know, a contrast in, in, in regards to going about an investigation. You see, you mentioned earlier, McNulty taking shortcuts to um, taking shortcuts. Lester doesn't take doesn't take shortcuts. Um, it's you know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. up, yep. up until this point, you're right. 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 I know you're right. Yeah. No. No. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Nope. Not going to it. So he he's gonna be like, all right, Lester, Lester up until this point is 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 gonna just try to figure shit out. So you know, yeah, yeah, goes that tedious process, yeah, uh, of, of putting the pieces together to the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. We see. Uh, so then we see we go back to Poop and uh, another boxer soldier named Rico. We see uh, Poop. Forgets uh, forgets Rico cigarettes, so he goes back in the uh, he goes back in the uh, the store for cigarettes, and then we see Snoop on the back of a bicycle come out of nowhere and kill Rico and Poop. You know, quick thinking uh, plays dead um, as Rico is uh, as Rico is shot. Of course, the other boxer so soldier was in the store, so he didn't. He came out late, and uh, Poop survives. Um, Poop survives and Omar again gets the better 
not Omar, Marlowe, again, gets the better of the Barksdale organization for the uh, second straight episode. Um, what were your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, he put his plan into place, and now we can fully talk about it. Like, he used, he used their aggression against them. Um, or, yeah, or, yeah, no, no, no. He, he used um, Avon's need for uh, territory against them so that he could set up. And the funny thing is, like, there was a similar scene in, which season was that? Was it two or was it one? It had to be one where um, uh, uh, D'Angelo got chewed out because he left the stash, the re-up, um, right. in a similar fashion. Now, this wasn't a re-up, but all of them were out of position, and particularly, like, it's not even about Poot on this, because Poot was at the very least outside. Half the muscle was in the um, store, the yeah. store buying yeah. something. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, it goes back to your the point that you've been saying this pretty much the entire time. This was a great, another great example of where the Barksdale organization is at this point in time. Not good. Not good. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Marlo definitely, this definitely showed a, his, his, uh, you know, his planning and strategic side, side is not about just not, you know, we've seen, you know, we've, we've seen when Marlo strikes is with a purpose. So we saw last episode um, when the two, you know, when the two, so when the two boxers were killed, they were waiting for them because Marlo was already prepared for war. We saw Marlo the previous episode when they struck the Barksdale corner with the bats and stuff. That was, you know, telling fruit they call him off guard there. That was telling Fruit, hey, I just need to see a move. So Marlo has shown to be very strategic about the moves that he makes and not just, you know, you know, very they're very well thought out, uh, you know, thought out. And I, I think that, you know, up until this point again, Avon still, Avon does not know who Marlo is. So Avon is like being attacked by it. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, to use a sports analogy of, going to a game without a scouting report of the other team like you you like you know what I'm saying so mm, I'm going I'm going to push back just a little bit I like the analogy I'm going to add it's like you don't want the scouting report because you don't think the other team can beat you yes yeah 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 that that's I think that's I think that's part of it too I don't think I, I think because yeah, I mean, because he mentions <laughs> Avon mentions. Um, You're so confident in your. Uh, how about this? You're so confident in your team skill that you're like, we don't need the playbook because we'll beat them because we're that good. I don't know. If, I don't know if Avon was that confident in his team skill though at this point. Yeah, I, he is. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he yeah. is. This is it's real. You can't change it up. You've been talking this entire episode about the Barksville organization and how choppy they are and how off their game and just how they've they've fallen. And so it has to be consistent in this. Avon is is way overconfident in his skill. 
if if we're going to keep it all the way real, he's not thinking about the other soldiers. He thinks he can out battle Barlow. Yes, he does. From jump. No, yeah, he's confident in himself, and I'm not considering. I'm not sure that he's confident in his other his peoples around him. That's why. That's why I mentioned about him being out, like him literally being in the car doing soldier type stuff like scouting corner and stuff like that with, with Slim Charles, stuff that we never saw him do earlier. So I'm not, yeah, he's yeah. more, I'm not I, sure. I think what, it's all, what I'm saying is it's all part of the same problem. It's all stemming from the same place. You can't separate the others. You can't separate one from the other. Yeah, no, I mean, the bottom because line. Because of the lack of, right, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, yep. no, the bottom line is, to, you know, to, the bottom line uh, is, they're not in the good right. place right now. They're not, no, they're not no, not at all. And, you know, we see, you know, we see, because, you know, you see their heads are not, you see, like, the, I look at it like this, this as well. So the Barksdales now versus the Barksdales way back when, there was a delegation of, uh, there was kind of like a delegation uh, uh, of levels in, in regards to Avon did kingpin shit. Stringer was, you know, number two, and they had a, a bunch of middlemen soldiers who were skilled. Now you got Stringer, who is halfway checked out in terms of his, he, he, wants to be, he wants to be in real estate. So he's not doing his job. So he, it's kind of been like a, a pat, it's kind of been like from that standpoint, you got, you got Avon not doing, you know, doing soldier type shit when that wasn't the case. So then- I mean, if you want to do this now, we can outline every single mistake of the Barstow organization. And there, there are so many. And so all of it is coming to a head. Yeah, yeah. No. But if you want to do it, we can. We can go. We can go. I got a list on oh, no, Stringer, Avon, everybody. No, no, no. It's, this is. I mean, no. This is all throughout the. And this is. This is why. Yep. This is why this episode was was vital from that standpoint of of showing you where they're at. Um. And yeah, where they're coming apart. Yeah. Apart. It's showing you where they're coming apart at the scene. And it's from the, and you really think about it, this thought, thought just came to my mind now. It's from the top down. So they give you, you yep. see, a, you see yep. Avon and his mistakes, you see Stringer and his mistakes, and you see their, uh, you see with, you know, Bernard and even, you know, the girl, forget about her. She's, you know, she's just a girlfriend. She's not even part of the organization. You see Bernard um, and his mistakes, you know, a guy who we had never, hadn't even seen before. So this is this is a complete. They, I, I think they showed all these characters. This is a complete breakdown. This is not one one aspect of their of their organization breaking down. This is all, this is all aspects that are uh, that are coming apart. Uh, so we get to um, Burrell. Uh, no, so we get to Herc. Yeah, Herc, Kima, and McNulty. So um, Herc tells. Uh, Let's Kima and McNulty know that. Um, let's Kima and McNulty know that he's seen Avon, and they don't believe it at first. They don't, you know, they don't believe it. Um, and you know, even McNulty says, you know, no fucking way. But you know, Herc says, you know, no, I saw him go. You know, go check it out for yourself. I, you know, I saw, I saw Big Man, and um, so we, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Um, what were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, set up. And um, we get to Burrell, Dozeman, and Royce. So they have this big, you know, for show press conference where they give Dozeman his gun back 
and Burrell's there, Royce is there, Carcetti's watching on TV, taking, you know, taking notes. And Dozerman was like the least happiest person in that room. Like Dozerman's face told you all you needed to know about, you know, his thoughts on the entire situation. Like Dozerman could care less about a gun. Uh, as soon as, um, as soon as uh, Burrell says, you know, hopefully he gets back to duty, you know, gets back to duty soon, you see Dozerman's face cringe as, you know, like, right. like okay. So uh, again, this was all for show, photo op. Um, and again, I think the show depicted that, you know, all this going through all this for a gun. Um, and, and, you know, this was just, you know, this was just all for show. To make themselves look, uh, to make the police department, you know, look, you know, look good when basically nothing, when basically nothing has been accomplished. Like, and, and, and they right, it's all lies. None, none of that happened. None of that, yeah, none of that was true. Like they didn't. As we know, we know, we know how it happened. Right. So this was all for show. Um, as Carcetti, yep. as Carcetti watches on, uh, taking his, um, typing a letter, uh, a letter of uh, concern. Um. We get back to the detail. So the detail gets back. They immediately, um, we see uh, McNulty look up Avon on the computer. They realize that Avon is out. Now everybody realizes that Avon is out in the detail. Um, Lester Daniels, of course, surprised. And uh, Kima, and Kima, of course, gets upset. And that's how he uh, gets upset and tosses, uh, tosses a folder, tosses something, uh, a folder holder as the uh, scene, as the uh, the episode wraps up, what were your thoughts on 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 them finding that uh, finding out April is out? This is so. This is what now. Now let's put this into a really big bow since we're at the end here. Um, so this is what I mean by the engineers of their own destruction. I said in season one that um, the original sin was branding. Right. And the reason why the original scene was brand is because that upped the pressure on them, on the organization that brought all the lights on them. The nut, the other sin is Avon wanting to get out of jail, wanting to get back on the street early. This is going this. I mean, as as this, that that's the second sin. him wanting to him forcing his way out. Will will we will will be so. Um, so. That's why this is so important. And that's why, like, when you texted me, you were absolutely right. Like, this is such an important setup episode because now, now this is the shift, right? You had McNulty and um, Daniels at each other. You got Kima running around. You got, you know, the squad. They can't focus on what, who was there. They're irritated. We're switching from target to target. You know, the police, everything, like, everybody's at different places. Um, in terms of the police or the surveillance uh, part of the city involved in that, in terms of like what they're what they're thinking about in the in the Barcelona organization, and then this galvan this is the beginning of galvanizing everybody to yeah. one cause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the so, rallying of the troops, yeah. so to speak. Because yep. they, they yep. were they were all. Yep. Over- they were fractured. They were fractured. They were fractured. They were. They were fractured. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that it was, you know, seeing, seeing Avon, you know, back on the street 
And I, I think that the fact that that the fact that it was Herc that spotted him, it wasn't Kima, it wasn't Freeman, it wasn't McNulty, it was Herc. So it's like, dude, you you got spotted by like one of the worst cops on the show from a just a skill from a skill standpoint. Um because of how bad you wanted to be back on the street. And again, you know, he falls into falls into that category of you mentioned last week of just, you know, tunnel vision, just not not seeing the the whole picture, just, you know, hey, I want these corners, you know, uh, I want these corners, I want uh, you know, I want Marlo. I want these corners, yeah. I want to take out Marlo. You know, the corners. Yeah. So you had, you know, so you had that, you had that going on. Um, as far as uh, the themes that we talked about, again, we talked about, uh, I did, I said death of a thousand cuts. Of course, that would, you know, that's of course described in the Barksdale organization. Um, you talk about troop hurts and we mentioned, um, you know, conscious mentioned all the mentioned all the real conversations and mentioned characters who just had who had no conscience whatsoever in regards to McNulty, uh, you know, McNulty and Coven. And also, I, I actually could put, um, no, nah, that's a different type. Of, it's a different, that's a that's, that's a different type of I was about to say Avon, but Avon's is just different television. But I thought thinking that McNulty and Colvin fell into that line, fell into that category as far as not caring about how their actions impacted the others. We see, uh, you know, we see McNulty, you know, we see what happens with Kima because because of pardon, going out with McNulty, <laughs> following around McNulty. You see, uh, and you see what Amsterdam looks like at night because of what, the, because of, uh, of, 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 of what Coleman wants, of what Coleman wants in regards to trying to save, you know, trying to save his district and um, trying to save his district. So I thought that, thought this episode did a great job of showing both sides of the epigraph of conscience do, uh, conscience do cost. Um, great, great bridge episode. Of course, we know next week the, the shit is going to completely hit the fan. Um, what were you, who who'd you have for your MVP? I had a tough time coming up with one. Hey, the the MVP in my mind is Omar. Okay. Okay. I, I did a more character based like in the episode one, and he got the gun. The gun that, but I mean, Buck's face says it all when he takes the gun out of the bag, like how big a deal this was. Yes, that, yes, that was, yeah, that definitely was, was, yeah. So I'm giving Omar my MVP. Yeah, yeah, that, that I could definitely see that. I, yeah, no, I'm fine, that, that's fine. I had a, this was a, yeah, this was a difficult one, difficult time, a difficult episode to have, uh, to have an MVP uh, with, but um, yeah, I have no problem with that one. What about your uh, Chardin Award? Chardin Award goes to Bubbles for that scene. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was. Uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, like I always, you know me. I'm a, I I've been consistent on this, but I'm a sucker for the. You give me emotion 
without um, saying a word. And it was, I mean, the majority of that, he's just looking and um, and showing everything on his face with, without barely using any words. White tea, white tea. Um, what do you got? Like he he used like the words he's using is talking about like that until he gets to Joey. But for the most part, he's just looking and and we experience the horror at a visceral level because of um uh and, well, Andre Royal, right? Yeah, Royal, not Royale, Royal. Royal. Um, because of his because of his performance. So pretty spectacular, I must say. I had uh, Cuddy and the Deacon. I really liked that scene. I had both of them as the yeah. chocolate one. Yeah, so, but yeah, the Bubbles one was definitely just, I mean, we, you know, like I said, you, yeah, you love the, the acting without just basically mm-hmm. saying nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's facial, facial expression, yeah. Yeah. All mm-hmm. violence, facial expression. That uh, told it all. Well, this, again, this was a excellent, bridge episode a necessary episode to get you to what is going to transpire to the regular to the for the rest of the season this was a very you know you you know they had to do an episode like this in order to pull off what they're going to pull off the, the next uh five episodes so even though it might have moved somewhat slow a little bit uh this it they had to have an episode, you had to have an episode like this and you will see the payoff, uh, the next five episodes, you will see the payoff. You're gonna see immediate payoff next episode. Uh, next episode is a big, big episode. Uh, be looking forward to it. As always, thanks to Rob Sat for joining the program. All right, sir. Everybody be safe, be healthy out there. All right, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Uh, this episode will probably be up I'll be up early Sunday morning. Um, and of course, I will be on. Uh, you'll see me, you'll hear from me next, This uh, not next, but on Tuesday to break down the NFL and uh, some, pop, some pop culture as well. Uh, that's going to wrap it up. I will see you next time. I'm out.